0: I am so excited to have Aristea Brady here with us today. She is an Emmy award-winning anchor in Denver. She's worked as a reporter on KUSA. She's been in Minnesota. She is a Colorado native. And she has a large extended family, which keeps her here in Colorado. Otherwise, (laughs) I think she could be doing anything she wants anywhere in the country. Mm -hmm. And um, she's a graduate of Northwestern University School of Journalism, where she double majored in broadcast journalism and legal studies. She is a friend. That'll probably come through. But (laughs) she's also someone who I know has got great information that she could share about I want to hear about women in broadcasting. I want Mm. to hear about journalism from where it started, from when you started, to where it is today. Because I came to find out that there are a lot of people hungry to get into this field. Mm. And a lot of them are young, Mm. right? And so they're in their early 20s. And they have questions sometimes for me. But I think you really are the person who could shed light into anyone who's aspiring to do things anywhere from social media to television. So given that... Can you start with where do you see things going right now? What, what, where do you see journalism right now, and how does that mix with social
1: media? Yeah, well, g- great question, and thank you, by the way, for all the nice things you said. That means a lot to me. Um, first of all, you, you mentioned something that that uh, you know I could help younger women, and I just it has to be said that there were some really amazing pioneers that went before my generation of anchors and reporters and journalists. And these were the women, I don't think we're pioneers. I think they were pioneers. These were the women that uh, were sitting on the anchor desk for the very first time and making space. Who? Who are they? Adela Arakawa comes to mind from Nine News Mm -hmm. locally. Mm -hmm. Barbara Walters, um, you know, Diane Sawyer. There's a long list of a lot of the names you've heard with, with good reason. Season. But these are women who both figuratively and literally made space on the desk for two people and said there's another perspective that needs to be told here and there's some balance that needs to be shed in these stories. Is that
0: really how how the two desk thing started?
1: Yeah, A yeah. two person at a desk thing started? I, it was years before it started. So you think of Walter Cronkite journalism back in the day broadcasting when John F. Kennedy died. Um, yeah, it was always the man. Always the man. And just one person. One person and one male. And it wasn't, in my understanding, until really just decades ago that they said, "Wait a minute, there's a, there's a perspective missing here." And now it's rare that you see one man or two men on the desk. You see that an, an anchor, a team, is is both male and female. We were talking about that earlier. You know, there's been such a an I think people are starting to embrace, and by people, I mean higher-ups in journalism who make a lot of the big, important decisions, corporations. Um, I feel as if they're starting to embrace femininity and understanding that femininity is actually an asset in journalism. And there's a very um, kind of metaphoric example, if you will, in that when I first started, I only wore Boxy suits, and I had them in every single color. Literally every single color of the rainbow. And one of my favorite stories is uh, uh, then this was you know twenty. Like, years are we ago. talking shoulder pads? Shoulder pads casual corner I don't know if you remember that oh story. Yeah. archaic almost yeah. pantsuits pantsuits pant Hillary Clinton power pantsuits I had a boyfriend at the time who I remember I could never figure out the big question was what color shell do we put under our pantsuit today because we we have the same pant but what color shell and I had a boyfriend I'd say I'm wearing a black suit and he said we should wear red under that I'm wearing a purple suit We're yellow and all of a sudden I was just amazed at his good taste and then finally one day I said how are you so good at this and he said all right I was worrying you know maybe is not into women at that point, and then he <laughs> said to me, "No, the truth is, I use professional sports teams." He said, "So you were the Bulls <gasps> last night, and you were Jazz today, no. and tomorrow you're the Broncos." <laughs> so, and anyway, but he, he could tell you that my closet looked what would now look like the closet of a 60- or 70-year-old woman. And I remember the slow transition, and this is within the last 15 years. I mean, this isn't like in the grand scheme of things. It's really a short period of time. And I remember when the network anchors started to wear dresses. And all of a sudden, it had to be modest at first, you know, very long dresses, boat neck, um, still, still professional, but you could get away with a dress. And before, I would say within the period of a year to two years, suddenly, I mean, you'd see a fitted blazer every now and again, but women were going, yes, we don't yes. have to wear these suits that when you think about it, were manly. Yes. And so that, you know, we were, we were figuratively and almost physiologically trying to look like a man. And now all of a sudden we could show, maybe wear something that was a little tighter fit, and we could show, I'm a female here. Um, You asked earlier, too, about the gritty voice. Mm -hmm. You know, I think when we started in this profession, you'd only see females with Um, very deep voices, and I was told that I got a job because the news director thought I smoked cigarettes, and (laughs) she thought that was memorable. I said, I'm actually asthmatic, but she told me your voice is what's memorable, and that's why you get this job, and I think that's less of a requirement. Now, what you hear people saying is, are they being authentic on television? Maybe you do have a higher voice, but are you coming across as who you really are rather than trying to be somebody you're not?
0: And that's something I have really been seeing. Let's just say, like, let's take the Today Show so yeah. To me, today, if we fast forward to today, and I see, and I think of female journalists on a yes. national level, I think of them, right? Because now you see maybe three women now on the desk in one man. Yes. And, well, well said. Right? And so, but but they're sharing about their lives and their babies and they're showing pictures. Yes. And that is, what, what do you think about that, A, yes. them sharing personal lives? Do you see that ever becoming something that local markets would do? Yes. And-
1: why is that a good thing why is that resonating local markets are doing that and um i will tell you social media wise and i'll give an interesting example here jeremy hubbard's my co-anchor who's a male and he uh when he posts more personal things they don't get the same traction as when i do when I post a news headline, it doesn't get the same traction as when he posts a news headline. Mm-hmm. It might be in part, I think there's a huge portion, a majority portion of women who watch the news. They want to know consumer tips. They want to know how to protect their family, how to keep their families safe. What's crime like in my area? Because, um, of course, women are very vested, right, all the time. And so as a result, though, but I think to be relatable you have to show a little bit of who you are. And my bait, if you will, on social media is always inside stories. It's what am I, how am I being a mom? How am I relatable? Yes, my kitchen's messy just like yours. Guess what? I just put an expensive dress on my daughter and there's marinara all over it within (laughs) two minutes. I mean, these are the things that people crave. And I think that does translate well in journalism because if they see you as relatable, then trust is formed, and then when breaking news happens, they tune into you. Uh, they say, there's something about her that's, again, authentic. Authenticity, I think, is such a huge word here. There's something about her I like. There's something about her I trust. Vulnerability creates some of that trust. And then when they, for instance, when the I-70 crash just happened the other day here in Denver, for those that are national listeners, uh, in Denver we had a, a horrific tragedy happen on one of our main thoroughfares where um, 25 cars uh, literally were of an explosion, and it was the frames of the cars that were left. And when people tune in because their significant other is late, and they want to know were they a part of that crash, you better darn be getting that news from somebody you like and somebody you trust. And I think social media is creating an avenue to get to know somebody better. I think it's fascinating though. When I think
0: back, right? You when you when I go back now, yeah. And I think of a classic reporter. I think I don't know. Anything about them, mm-hmm. right? So for so I get where we are now and why all of a sudden. And I credit Brene Brown for this. Yes. Vul- vulnerability yes. is strength, right. and we're all about being authentic. I mean, think about my field. Yes, people in psychology. They sometimes don't even wear a wedding ring. Right. You would know wow. nothing. Interesting. And so for me as well, yeah. I've I've gone over to a little bit more. Like sometimes people will say, oh, are your kids off from school today? Yeah. And I still have that moment of like, wait, we don't you know. You asked me a yeah, personal like, question? I, right. right. And then I'm like, you know what? This is, I have found the same thing. That if I share just a little bit of myself, yeah. it helps people feel like, okay, you're a real person who yeah. also experiences challenges. So I see that. Yeah. But where was, when did things change?
1: like when did people start thinking maybe we should be more vulnerable and authentic great great question i think there's a dual part answer one i think social media created an avenue that wasn't there before and so i think if had it been there i do wonder back then would people have been more receptive it just wasn't there and that's the way it was right it was accepted and i think the second part of that answer, is that the Me Too movement, right? This has been something that has been long time coming. Women have said, you know what? We are not living in a man's world anymore. We are not being quiet when we are abused emotionally, sexually, physically. And as a result, we're going to have a voice and we're going to talk and we're going to be ourselves, all of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it's a prideful movement. And I do believe social media is a way of connectivity, and you could tell me, I'm sure, all about this, but groupthink. When we know we're a part of something bigger and more important than just ourselves, we're empowered by that. And so when we see other people do it, other people are connecting, they're receptive. I'm sure there's a bit of a copycat that comes with that. So that would be my guess. If I had to. Yeah. And are there ever times that you wish you weren't sharing as much or people didn't know as much about your personal life? Yeah. I mean, honestly, of course. Um, You know, this is a real vulnerable moment for me, but I went through a miscarriage um, before I had my twins. And um, I remember... It was very hard to come to work and have a smile on my face when we were talking about lighthearted things in the news, and um, I, you know, it, it also is something it needs to be talked about. Women are way too quiet about it, and you have to follow uh, the the kind of this this sorrow. You have to follow the graph as far as maybe at first you don't want to talk about it and then maybe in two days you feel more open and then the next day you're angry and the next day you're resentful but sometimes you're not ready to go to the part of sharing and I feel like um, there is an invasive part sometimes of people that want to know everything now. Social media gives us that avenue to know things quickly and so sometimes you don't want to talk about things that are hurtful until you're ready to and until you've processed them yourself. So when you went through that miscarriage, yeah. did your viewers know you were pregnant? No, and I will tell you. But I, but uh, there, were, it was another local anchor who went through it and lost her baby uh, late second trimester, and mm. she to be very vocal about it because there were a lot of questions and she is somebody i use that example really brave strong woman and she's somebody and we were we talked a lot about how she was going to tell the viewers um and she's somebody who i also don't know was totally ready to open up to such a huge platform it's your most personal fight and you're taking a megaphone um so sometimes there's there are times you don't want to and maybe you have to yeah you know yeah i think that's part of it
0: so what do you tell the 21, 22-year-old that's graduating this week or, you know, um, getting ready to sort of start a career anywhere in journalism? Because I think, first of all, you define define journalism for me today, right? What does that mean for a new grad? Hmm. And what would be your
1: advice to them? So for me, I remember being in that exact spot. And defining journalism for me is having the front row to the best worst thing that's happening in town. And you can meet, you can, you got to be able to strut with the king. And as I did last week after the I-70 tragedy, we met a homeless man who had saved heroes. You got to be able to throw your jeans on, a polo on, put your hair back and be able to talk and connect with a homeless man. And I remember looking at some of these pioneers that had gone before me. And I remember thinking to myself, these women have, to be smart. You've got to be able to synthesize information quickly when it comes to breaking news. These women have to be courageous. They're pioneering in a world that was previously male dominated. These women have to be. well kept. You, you can't come on the news and have hair out. And I often, as you know, Cheryl, you know me too well, I, I hide the hot mess Aristea. I try to work <laughs> on her before uh, the, the, the live red red light on the camera comes on. Um, but you have to stay on top of physical, obviously, television's a visual medium. You have to be compassionate. You're not going to get an interview unless you're an empathetic person, again, showing that authenticity coming through. And I thought to myself, this is one of the few professions I can think of. It's almost like, you know, having a mobile and you have, you can't be out of balance in any one or you won't succeed and make it to the level you're trying to make it to. Um, and I remember thinking this, this job is a checks and balances to be a well-rounded person. And I liked that. Um, you don't want a woman who comes across as all authoritative, not a family woman. You want a woman who comes across as soft and smart, sensible and creative. And I remember thinking this is going to be checks and balances for me um, and to answer your question um, to those that are starting um, i would say that that, that authenticity and, and that balance is is being craved right now more than ever before and that you have a viewer base and an audience that is more receptive to a well-rounded person than they've ever been before in large part thanks to the women before who paved the path for us um, and i think that uh i would tell them this Life is about pursuing the unanswered question. And for you, sometimes you have to go out there and sometimes you will fall flat on your face. But I've always said this, I would rather have a scar on my face knowing that I pursued that unanswered question than would I have to live with the regret of knowing that I didn't even get a chance to answer it. It's better to be scarred and know you were courageous than to be cowardly and walk away flawless
0: so tell us about a time you got a scar tell us about one of Ooh. your scars
1: I will tell you and this isn't just saving face I have several scars uh, it took me a long time to make it to the Denver market and I was ready eager ready to get here right away and I remember talking to uh, the news director at 9 news at the time uh, who kept saying a couple more years a couple more years and I just was ready but then in hindsight I would have never met my husband you know I would you look you find the door closes window opens things like things do end up happening for a reason but when I I, my husband lived in Minneapolis and I remember having to to choose between this guy that I thought I really loved and could potentially marry versus this dream job that I'd sought for a long time and I remember sitting with the same news director who rejected me several times I remember sitting in front of her and and telling her I have to leave and she asked why. And I said, this is, and I just got very red. And I said, I feel so foolish for telling you this, but it's for love. And she looked at me and she said, I think that's the only reason you could have given me. And Aww. here was this woman who I yeah. respected, who was this powerhouse, who I mean, just was really strong in every sense of the word. And and at the end of the day, she understood it. Um, but I remember thinking, I I could lose this job. I could move away. My Greek mother devastated. I could move away. <laughs> Away from Denver and my family and this guy could be a nothing. But I was okay with it because I knew that at least I'd be answering the question ultimately. Right. You know? Yeah. You had that burning question yeah. inside of you.
0: And and a gut feeling. Yes.
1: And you got to follow your gut always. <laughs> always. So, somebody once said to me and you'll love this uh, that your gut is this soft authoritative voice? When you hear screaming and yelling, those are your emotions. That's doubt creeping in. You have to go with the voice that speaks softly and steadily to you. That is the voice that your gut speaking at any time. And being a mother, anytime I have heard that voice, I try to hone in. Yeah, Big yeah. Time.
0: I think we're getting close, even in neuroscience, to understand that there is that there's that gut-brain connection. Wow. And one day we're going to be able, I think, to define the gut feeling. Hmm. It's pretty close. Like people are yeah. studying this because there's so much truth to it.
1: Wow. But, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. It, it, it makes is. sense based on just pure my, my experience.
0: You, well, that's why you could get a stomach. Someone could walk in right now and give you terrible news and you could instantly get a stomach
1: ache. Physiologically. You know,
0: why do you get a stomach ache, Yes. Right. And so, um,
1: Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. The, the other piece of advice I would give young kids, I wanted to mention this. And
0: include males. And males. Like, thank you.
1: Mm-hmm, yes, young mm-hmm. kids. Um, I would, <laughs> you're still a kid when you're 21, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, social media is more important now than it's ever been uh, going back to it and building that base. I I had a news director say to me, uh, my current boss say to me recently, I was between two candidates. They were very even. And so what I did is I went onto their Facebook page and the person who was more interactive with their viewers was the one that I hired. What I think a lot of starting journalists don't, it's, it could be the differentiating factor. And this was somebody he hired a couple years ago and she's a star here. And Uh, She still has a really strong uh, social media following. Mm -hmm. Something I think people don't realize, and this is a little inside baseball, is there are metrics based on our social media within journalism, and they are... Without giving away too much, they are very closely followed. Uh, My bosses at all times, and and the people who are overlooking our social media and our websites at all times know if I'm being dormant on social media or if I'm having high activity days. And the expectation, understandably so, is that you are constantly interacting, and that is a difference. Now we're able to interact with our viewers. We're able to put. We try to put news out as it happens we don't wait until the five o'clock news it's on the website and we're sharing it within seconds and then that's being shared and suddenly your phone is giving you news three hours before the five o'clock news ever came on so you have to be willing to constantly be looking be willing to share Things from our website and be monitoring breaking news and be willing to go to the social media outlet. So is it that, that overt? Do your bosses overtly say this is an expectation Absolutely. of your job? Absolutely, really. In fact, we do reviews often, and I will tell you, I would say for 80% of us in the newsroom, that is the number one. Um, expectation and goal that they want all of us to work toward, to, so much so that there's a number tied to it, and there are specific numbers they would like us to reach. and And I say this because I think it's very important that young journalists understand this isn't just uh, oh, if you have time, you know. Th- there's a very good chance in the next decade or two that television isn't being broadcast in the same way. I still believe in my heart of hearts, because uh, they told me this ten years ago too, that we wouldn't be here. In- (laughs) haha we're still here but um i still believe in my heart of hearts that there's something about having a person deliver the news there's something about that personal connection i am your neighbor this is hurting me as much as it's hurting you i'm a denver native i grew up going to the shopping mall that's right by i70 and i am so sorry if your loved one's not home right now you need that i think there's a trust that you get from a human and the grit in their voice and their tone that you do not get on a web script so i think it will still be there in some form but somehow in some way i think that the the internet is going to play a very prominent role in how humans deliver the news. So what do you say
0: to these again young 20-somethings yeah. who have social media accounts that have pictures of them partying <laughs> on spring break, right? And in bikinis and whatever else. Is that do the way that the higher-ups look at that now is that is that um, accepted, or you know? Do you say, "Oh, it's par for the course"? They were eighteen, they were nineteen, or right. do you say, "No, I don't. I don't like that. I wouldn't
1: want someone to work here." You know, I, I think. That, well, let me say this. I've I've heard several people say, thank God we didn't have social media when I was 18. Because it's not that we weren't doing that, right? Right. That we were doing it to a different degree. Um, But it's absolutely frowned upon. Are you gonna hire the person who's coming across as professional and somebody who's making good decisions, right, when it comes down to it? Or the person who is clearly making bad decisions and doesn't look as trustworthy? I've had these exact conversations with my cousins who are in their early 20s now, but I remember when they were 18 and telling them, immediate coming calling them (laughs) within seconds of seeing things and saying take this down and in five years when you're out for your dream job you will thank me because it's very easy as we know to trace these things and find these things and I also want to say I understand that's difficult I understand that the struggle is real you know I have to think about it when I'm on vacation I don't post a picture I'd like to show my kids and I in the sand and we're on the beach and I don't want to show I have a picture of me in my bathing suit I'm a news anchor I'm not a sports illustrated model nor do I look like one by the way in a swimsuit um but there are the Is decisions I think conscientiously that we have to make. I think that conscientious decisions at a young age um, show a, a discretion that becomes very important in journalism. Um, I, it's a word that, that I love to use with a lot of our new reporters and it's conscientious journalism. Are you thinking, are you conscientious of the fact that there are several different sides to the story, more than two, sometimes eight? Are you conscientious of the fact that somebody's feelings might be getting hurt? Are you conscientious of the fact that this is one day of work for you and this is this person's life story that's being broadcast to everybody they know? Um, And if you're not making those good decisions uh, on social media, what is that going to say to a future employer about your ability to be, ability to be conscientious later?
0: Love right. that. I love that. I yeah. mean, that's, like, that's a nugget for people who are probably straddling or parents who are listening and trying to have a more compelling reason to tell their kids not right. to do certain things. Right. So the last thing I'll say, my yeah. last question to oh, you. great. Okay. Is I have been, in a very peripheral way, yeah. hanging around news stations yeah. for yeah. years now. Yes. And one of the things that strikes me the very most is how much trauma I feel that you guys hang on to, mm. that you are reporting on, that you are a witness to, that you're trying to give life to. And I'm always struck because sometimes I'll leave and I'll feel heavy. Mm. And I think, do you have any way of processing this? What is your process to avoid um, stress, mm. burnout? Mm. How do you handle the ups and downs of this job?
1: Yeah. Sandy Hook for me, oh. that that was the one where I had to go see a counselor, I will tell you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I remember getting off the anchor desk that night. I was in Minneapolis at the time. And I remember just internalizing this almost in a way that they were my children. I wasn't even a mother yet. Um, and I remember going to my boss the next day and saying, they always say there's professional help available if you need it. And I remember saying, I got to see somebody and talk about this. And she said the same thing to me. The the professional, the, psycho, the psychotherapist that I talked to said the same thing. She said, I don't know how you guys do this. You need to do this more. Uh, for me, I will. this sounds a little corny, but it's the truth. Uh, I married my husband for this prominent reason, and it's because he processes to such a high degree, and he reads me. I always say, you my horse whisperer. When I come home and I'm holding on to stuff, and, I, and even if I think I don't want to talk about it, he can read it, and he reads when, like, OK, I can approach her now. And he's amazing at process. Why are you feeling this way? And I will tell you, For me, the best thing that we can do is we are given a platform, and at Fox 31, we take it really seriously. We're given a platform as journalists to be able to take this megaphone and do something good with it. And that is how I process pain. I try to turn it into something actionable. Um, Something to, okay, our community is struggling, but wait a minute, there's a glimmer of hope. And out of I-70, we're gonna share you the stories of the heroes who helped pull the people from the fire. And again, going back to the homeless man that I talked about earlier, he helped save lives that day. He pulled people out of cars that were smoking. Uh, we, I did an interview with him that night. Uh, I said, we don't know how we're going to help this man yet, but if you're interested, you email us. The next morning, I woke up with 500 emails in our inbox. Five hundred. And literally, and it makes me cry. Yeah, And all of them. Um, wanted to donate. By five o'clock the next day, we had gift cards, a gift card wish list. Let's. What can we do for this man? We can get him money to give him shelter and food and warm clothing when he needs it. And it's. I, we don't want to give the number because we don't want him to get robbed, frankly, but several thousands. I mean, it, dream, we've never raised money like this a uh, at the station, at least for one person after a story. And It just shows you that at the end of the day, there is more good in this world than bad, and I promise you that, and I get to see that every day. People wanted to help the man who was asking for help at the time and did something heroic. They wanted to say thank you. One woman wrote in, and she said, this is for all the times that I drove by you and never looked at you in the eyes. And she said, "I am sorry, and I hope I can pay it forward in some way." So there is a way for us, at the end of the day, to turn tragedy into hope, and that is a role I take really seriously as an evening anchor. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that it's um, when I saw that, I
0: saw your post, yeah, and I saw the picture the next day of you and Jeremy amongst all these, <laughs> these envelopes.
1: So sea of yellow,
0: right? And and nobody, I mean, besides celebrating that there wasn't more loss of life. Who thought there was going to be some sort of silver lining story, but you found it. So I feel like the way that we're ending this conversation is how we start it. Like you authentically were like, this is a tragedy. And if there's any good that's
1: going to come out of it, I'm going to be the one to report it and I'm going to do something about it. (laughs) And that's my, I I like to think that's my beat. You know, mm-hmm. my, my beat, people say, you know, Jeremy loves reporting on military. My beat is find, finding unexpected hope. Um, it's getting a cello player a scholarship to college. You know, it's uh, raising money for breast cancer after a story we've done. It's finding that that silver lining of hope. And I say God works in mysterious ways. And as a journalist, I think you see that firsthand every day. And it's why we can never treat each other disrespectfully because we see how much good there is in this world, how much tragedy there is in this world. And we see that at the end of the end of the day, the only thing you can do is treat people well.
0: That's well said. Yeah. That's well said. I have to ask you one more question. I <laughs> thought I was going to end, but now you just said something. And, and you'll have one minute to okay. answer this question. Okay. But how has the whole slogan, fake media, impacted you?
1: You know, I think we a lot of us take it as a personal front because I think a lot of us have made it our our career goal uh, to put accuracy first from the beginning. And so um, if anything, it, I will tell you, it's been, you know, and they say somebody says no and you see that as an opportunity. You know, Trump, knew, Trump will say fake news, and I think a lot of that see that as an opportunity to prove him wrong. No, we do double check our facts. In fact, we triple check our facts. And if you are looking to scrutinize, then be our guest because you ain't going to find it good good answer
0: um i could talk to you all day How could you? always but um thank you so much for sharing oh, your wisdom i thank learned you. a ton and um i look forward to continuing to see you be your authentic blessed self thank you dear. thanks for what you do <laughs>